Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron, on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. And we're here in week 17, and we're going to get straight to the WTF portion of this episode because, I mean, this is crazy town stuff. I mean, the way everything has unfolded, the Giants are 5-10. and 5-10. and 10. They have a chance to make the playoffs. Think about that for a second. 5-10 and 10 with a chance to make the playoffs. That's because their division is terrible this year. It's bad. It's awful, right? The, the leader has six wins, and they get to play against each other in this basically historically bad division. And nobody right now has more than six wins. And that leaves the Giants at five wins with a chance against the Dallas Cowboys and with a little help from the Eagles. So they, they would have to beat Washington. With that game is on Sunday night, Eagles-Washington. So the, the Giants win and get one help from one team, and they're in the playoffs at 6-10. and 10. It's only appropriate that you can make the playoffs with six wins in 16 games in 2020. It is so 2020 for this to be the case, for there to be a team that can get in with six wins. Now, we're going to talk to Darius Slayton in a few minutes, but first, I, w- I want to I go through the situation of where everything stands because it's interesting. The Giants are in a very, very interesting spot, really unique. Because they are kind of headed in the right direction overall as an organization. They've gotten better this year. They've developed a culture. They seem to have found their coach. I think we're I think for the most part we're in agreement that Joe Judge knows what he's doing and we like what he brings to the table in regards to his approach, the way he handles everything, the way he uh deals with his players. So we're optimistic on that end. But at the same time, we saw this past week when they played Baltimore for the third straight week, the Giants aren't anywhere near good enough. Just think about this for a second, okay? So they get manhandled by Cleveland and Arizona, which, by the way, Cleveland and Arizona may both, neither of them might even be, not even be playoff teams. So they're not even competitive talent-wise with two playoff teams. Then they go to Baltimore, which is a good team, and I don't think anybody would put them in the the, the real upper echelon. Like, if they won it this year, it would be a little bit of a surprise. Not crazy, but a little bit of a surprise. They're probably in that second tier right now of Super Bowl contenders, right? That top tier is probably New Orleans, Green Bay, and Kansas City. And then I think that next tier is probably the, you know, uh, Baltimore, Buffalo, Seattle's of the world. Might be leaving out a team or two, but I think for the most part, those are the real, real contenders. I mean, I'm not a real believer in the Colts. I, the Steelers, I think they've got taken too many blows. If they had Bud Dupree and Devin Bush on their defense, that's a way different defense. I don't think they're at that level of defense that they were earlier this year. And then the offense, we hear about their problems all the time. But we're not here to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. So to me, those are sort of the tiers. And then Arizona and Cleveland are like total fringe playoff teams. But we found out the Giants really weren't even close to their level. Forget Baltimore. That was a demolition. Baltimore could have, the Ravens could have done whatever they wanted. What was the final score? 27. It won by 14. But it could have been worse. They went by 14 and did end up being 21. Not even remember. Uh, because the Giants scored that late touchdown. And then I think Baltimore was going to score it to make it 21, actually. Then they fumbled. So, yeah, it was 27-13. So, it won by 14. Could have scored much more. Uh, could have really picked their number and picked the margin of victory. But. It's really telling because now you see where the Giants are. And on one hand, 
they could make the playoffs. On the other hand, they're trying to decide, I believe, if the general manager deserves to stay. And that's the question I get most. Are they gonna really are they really gonna keep Dave Gettleman? I mean, they're 14 and 33 under Dave Gettleman. Three straight double-digit losing seasons. Since he's became general manager, there's only three teams that are worse. Jaguars, Bengals, Jets. Okay. But if they make the playoffs, you have to think that ownership's gonna be able to convince themselves, hey, we are headed in the right direction. We've made improvements. Our roster has improved. They did a good job this year of adding pieces. Now, in the end, we'll probably never know how much is, you know, Joe Judge's input had into that. But you still have, we still have to give Dave, Dave Gettleman credit. We can't just say it's all Joe Judge. But there's obviously been mistakes made here over the past few years that the Giants in three years are still, I'm not even going to say average team because they're, they're five and 10. So they're, they're pretty, they're well below average still, especially talent wise. I think, and I don't know if anyone really argued me. I mean, they basically maxed out talents, talent-wise. Like, if they win six games, like six games, then maybe they could have won seven. I know they blew a couple games, but still, like, talent-wise, this is a this is a, a six-win team. I mean, you're getting a lot out of this team to even get six wins out of the talent. It, it, that's my estimation or evaluation of where they are talent-wise, personnel-wise. So there's a lot of moves that still need to be made, right? They need... Their offensive line is still questionable. The tackle spots, they're playing Cam Fleming right now and Andrew Thomas, who has had a a very, very shaky rookie year. I mean, by look, sacks is a very subjective thing, but I think the number that when I looked it up in our ESPN database was like, and and where you who you credit with giving up sacks, it's very subjective. We don't know the, the actual calls, and a lot of times it has to do with that of who's responsible for specific sacks. But anyway, last I checked that at, at the end of this week, Andrew Thomas was at like number one of most sacks allowed. It was, at, it was 16. No, I don't think he's really responsible for 16 sacks ultimately, but you know, that's what the tally was without knowing the calls, uh, knowing where exactly you should direct blame, but still that applies for everyone else in the league too. And he ended up at the top of the list. So let's say the number's not anywhere near that big. I mean, you're still talking about one of the league leaders in sacks allowed. So you can't feel great about his rookie year. Now, you hope there's still enough there where you could be hopeful. He has had flashes of playing better at times. You can still have hope that he's going to be a fine left tackle. But still, their tackles are a weak spot. Okay, one of the most important positions. Their quarterback is still a question mark moving forward. Now, I don't care how optimistic you are about Daniel Jones. You still have to say... You know, was it the greatest year for Daniel Jones? Daniel threw his first TD pass since week nine the other night, the other day. So he's got nine touchdown passes. There's going to be 10 quarterbacks, including a rookie in Justin Herbert, playing behind an awful offensive line that's going to throw 30. So no matter how optimistic you are about Daniel Jones, and there's reasons to believe that he still could be a high-end quarterback and they could win Super Bowls with him and he could be their quarterback and franchise quarterback well, well into the future. But there's also plenty of reason to say, you know, there's concerns of whether, you know, what his ceiling is. I don't think you could, anyone could really look at the evidence that's out there and be totally sold saying he's our franchise quarterback. Like, Kyler Murray, well past that point, right? I even feel better about Justin Herbert. Like, I, he even his rookie year is better than, significantly better than Daniel Jones's was. So, guys like that, uh, you know, you could be sold on. And, and I'm a bit, I'm a guy where you don't want a middle-of-the-road quarterback. Like, can Daniel Jones be a middle-of-the-road quarterback, top 15, right around top 15 quarterback? Sure. 
I do believe that. But I think you need a top 10-ish quarterback, a top 8-ish quarterback, a top 5-ish quarterback some years in order to really win Super Bowls and be competitive long-term. And I don't think we know if Daniel Jones is that. So we still have that question. Uh, There's no number one wide receiver, a huge gap, a a weapon and receiving that's like, you know, you know, uh, all pro, pro bowl, perennial pro bowl. They still don't have that edge rusher that scares opposing teams. They still don't have that defensive lineman. I guess, you know what, Leonard Williams has developed into the defensive lineman, at least that can scare opposing teams. But you still, they need way, they need another pass rusher on the interior in the worst way. You saw that the other day. I mean, Lamar Jackson, there were plays where he had, I count. I looked in the next gen stats over seven seconds in the pocket on one play before he decided to run for eighteen yards like that. You you just can't win like that. So the Giants are in one of the most unique spots I have ever seen, on the verge of maybe making the playoffs, yet on on the precipice of their general manager potentially being fired because they're not anywhere near good enough after three years. Just crazy, crazy town. Now from what I've heard, like I don't know if the Giants are going to fire Dave Gettleman. I do know there's been some frustration and there's people inside that building who know and look, they should know. This is, you know, if if you look at this objectively and you step back and you look at where they are, that the talent level overall is insufficient still. Not good enough. They haven't done enough over these three years to satisfy ownership. Now, the question is whether ownership, when they have their meeting after the season, is going to sit there and say, well, we played December games meaningful December games, we made progress. Or if they say, because this, this is, listen to this quote. And I wrote a story on Dave Gettleman's future. Go to ESPN.com and read it. I think it'll come out on Thursday. And this is John Mara from back in, I guess it was late August, maybe the first couple of days of September. I want to feel like when we walk off the field after the last game that we played, whenever that is, that we're moving in the right direction that we have the pieces in place to compete for a Super Bowl and that the combination of people that we have here is going to work going forward. That's what Steve, Steve Tisch, and I need to feel like. Now, they can convince themselves they're moving in the right direction pretty easily, especially if they're in the playoffs. But they're probably going to have a hard time if they're realistic saying we have the pieces in place to compete for a Super Bowl because they have they need a lot more pieces to get there. Like, next year isn't even realistic to compete for the Super Bowl. Next year, you want to kind of make that step, be like a real, you know, a real playoff contender. Like, they're a playoff contender only because their division stinks right now. If they were in the same division as the Chiefs, they'd be nine games out of first place. Nine games. But they're only competitive for the playoffs right now. And this is reality. This isn't Haiti. This is just, you look at the facts. They're only competitive because they play in one of the worst divisions of all time. And 99% of the seasons... If you're 5-10 and and you have five wins after 15 weeks, you have zero chance at the playoffs. So you have to be realistic when you're looking at the team as a whole when they step back and they have that conversation and they're deciding, all right, what is our move here? Do we want to get a guy to align with our new coach? Because the new coach has been aligned with a general manager who, quite frankly, in his first two years, did not put a lot of the pieces in place that they need there to win a Super Bowl. Heck, if you step back and look at it right now, and Saquon Barkley will be back next year, I understand. But right now, here's the evidence. They had the two pick, the six pick, and the four pick in three years. Okay. The two pick, Saquon Barkley, has been had two injury marred seasons out of three. Okay. Not much he could do about that, but that's the facts. The number six pick were two years in, and it's hard to be 
completely sold that he's the guy and he's going to blossom into a top 10 quarterback. So the jury's still out on him. I still have some optimism, but I also have some pessimism. I think I'm being realistic there. And I think if you're being realistic about Daniel Jones, you have to think that those are still the possibilities of what he is as a quarterback. And then you have the number four pick who, who knows what he's ultimately going to be, but the evidence that's out there, tape that he put on the field, wasn't great in his first year. So it's entirely possible he's just an, ends up being an average tackle. It's not out of the question. It's not out of the realm of possibilities, the range of possibilities. I mean, that's, that's clearly in there right now. Like, stud, lockdown, left tackle. I mean, it does, it's not the favorite right now of what, what his career evolves into. It's still a possibility, but I don't think you're going to look at his rookie year and say, yeah, he, that's where he's headed. We know this. We could feel confident about that. So, you know, three premium picks, still a heck of a lot of uncertainty. And that's why we're sitting here discussing the general manager's future at the, si- at the same time, simultaneously with the Giants potentially making the playoffs. Wild. Let's go on to our guest right now. Let's talk to Darius Slayton. On to the next one. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. All right, we have Darius Slayton here, one of the Giants' top playmakers, also a member of the Budweiser Zero Team Zero team, uh, which starting today is uh, launching a new campaign. And... There'll be a dry, a dry January with Team Zero. Darius, uh, you're in a pretty good group there alongside uh, Dwayne Wade, George St. Pierre, uh, a bunch of other, you know, Kevin Kissner, a golfer. Uh, explain to me, what, what, is, what, is this, what is it that Team Zero is all about? Um, essentially, Team Zero is a group of coaches and athletes from around the world who are coming together to help keep each other motivated throughout dry January and help consumers along the along the way. So, yeah, I mean, look, Christmas time, you have New Year's. You figure January is the ideal time, right, to go to go dry. I mean, they, they, yeah, you it know, makes, per- to- makes perfect sense to me. Trying to catch people, you know, making that New Year's resolution. Hey, I'm going to drink a little less here or there. It's the time to do it. You know, we're going to have a dry January. Um, try to keep people encouraged. Obviously, going to make sure we do it ourselves because, you know, you got to practice what you preach. So, um, you know, just looking forward to it. Now, you get it, You get advice once you, you join Team Zero and sign up. I mean, I don't want Darius Slayton yelling at me every, every Monday morning, uh, you know, yelling at me for uh, breaking my New Year's resolution. It, it, can you hold off on that at least for me? Well, um, part of how I got involved in this initiative is I've, I've never drank – until probably uh, last year was the first time I ever even tasted alcohol. Stop it. For real? Yeah, I swear. Never? 
Never. Last year was the first time I ever even tasted alcohol. But how do you go through college and, and not, not even try alcohol? Never drink. I never, never drank college. Is that However, because you were so focused on being in, you know, making it in football? Uh, that was part of it, but uh, I, to be honest, a big part of it is, is like, so take like uh, squash, for example, right? Squash, I don't think, okay. I don't think squash is appetizing. I don't, there's nothing about squash that makes me want to eat squash. I don't like the smell, don't like how it looks, so I'm not going to try it. Alcohol kind of fell into the same kind of thing for me. Like, I don't, I don't like the smell of alcohol. Um, I hate the smell of alcohol on people's breath. Like, everybody's been out in a bar and somebody's been drunk and talking to you two inches from your face. <laughs> it's just a, you know, so that combination of things, you know, I just, I never had any desire to try it. Um, so, you know, but I say all that to say, you know, I've had to get on to many people over the span of my life about it. So I would happily add you to the list of people that uh, <laughs> I have to keep reminded. So Budweiser Zero, that that's just right up your alley then. Yeah, it won't be a hard dry January for me because like I said, I don't drink. I have, and I since then, I think I have maybe, uh, oh, I tried wine um, one time since then. It was terrible. Won't be doing that again. <laughs> um, you know, so it won't be dry. January is, is just dry for me. I'm dry all the time. So it won't be a challenge for me, but I will be happily um, supporting others in this endeavor. Helping out everybody who has to get over and get themselves on track after Christmas and New Year's. So there we go. Well, what everyone's going to be watching this weekend is going to be, you know, first you guys, you, you play Dallas, uh, obviously a huge game. For you guys, essentially a playoff game before another playoff game, and you'll be the winner of that game sits there and watches Washington against Philadelphia because the winner wins the division. Now, six and ten, seven and nine, whatever, whatever it may be. I'm wondering, as players, how you look at that. Does it matter to you? Does it? Does it even? Would it? Will it even have a shred of effect on you if you win the division and you're six and ten? Uh, no, because I mean, you see all throughout the history of football, you see teams eight and eight, seven and nine, um, you know, teams that necessarily don't have quote unquote playoff records that, um, you know, make it to the playoffs. So, I mean, if we managed to make our way in there, you know, I know, I know myself and my teammates are going to prepare to try to go out there and make the best push uh, for the Super Bowl that we can. Obviously a huge game. Would it be fair? Do you view it? How, how do you view it? Is it the biggest game of your professional career? Do you look at it like that? Do you try to avoid thinking of it that way? Um, until you just said it, I kind of really hadn't thought about it that like that. But I guess in a in a sense, um, I guess you could say it's probably one of the most meaningful games I will have played as a professional because you know obviously this year we have a, a chance to make the playoffs and and if we win this game it gives us a good odds to make it so. Um, I guess you could say it is is probably one of the most meaningful games of, of my career so far. And what, what would it mean to you? I mean, you guys make the if, if you do make the you you win, you get some help. Philadelphia helps you out. You make the playoffs. So, what would it mean for you guys to you guys if you were able to make the playoffs this year? How I, like what would that mean to you personally and to this team? Um, it'll be huge. Um, we put in a lot of work this season. We fought hard to be competitive in a lot of games. Um, obviously, we, we've won some, we've came up short in some, but um, I think it would be huge just have another opportunity to be able to go out there and play another week with my teammates, have another chance to go out there and compete. And, um, you know, once we get into the playoffs, that's all you're fighting for is just another week to uh, 
be able to go back to work with your guys. And for you personally, let's let's talk, let's talk about your season, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you start off you, your your production's up there. It's kind of tapered off in the second half of the season. You won't say it. I'll say it. But, you know, it kind of coincides with the fact that you were banged up for a little while. Uh, so, what do you make of your overall season so far? Um, you know, I definitely can say I. Uh, you know, I know I've gone out there every week and I've tried to perform at the best of my ability. Obviously, I haven't um, performed up to my own personal standard every single time I've been out there uh, this season for a variety of reasons. But, um, you know, like I said, I've got one more opportunity this week and hopefully we get the job done. I'll have I'll have more opportunities to um, go out there and, and compete at a high level. I'm curious what you think to the idea of, OK, the league kind of has a book on you now, right? So they know how they know. Okay, maybe this is the best way to to attack Darius Slayton. Have you noticed that? And then what's what's the play off that for you? Like, what, you know, what's what's your response? How do you then, you know, what's what's your answer to? Okay, they're going to play me. Let's say super physical at the line of scrimmage. They want to beat me up. Now, now I have to come up with the counter. What's what? What is that for you? I guess maybe I, I've come across a little bit of that this year, and it's kind of one of those things that. You really you don't know. It's nothing that you can know beforehand, you know. So kind of as the game is going on, you kind of you see, you feel out how guys are playing you. Um, you try to get a feel for how the defense is playing the offense as a whole, right? Because you know you have a lot of different dynamics going on in offense. Right. On one piece, you know, and you have a guy like Evan Ingram, um, Sterling Shepard, guys like that. Those are also people that you have to account for that other opposing teams have to account for heavily. So. Um, you know, just trying to trying to find my way to to operate once I figure out what the defense is trying to do and um, try to find a way to make plays. So, okay, this has been obviously not the normal season, right? So, I want you to like take us through. What's a pandemic season like? What's it What's it been like for you guys? I mean, when's the last time you saw your family? Like, do what do you do for Christmas? Uh, you know, what was What's Thanksgiving like? You know, do do you get to see your family at all? Like. Take take us through what what it's been like for a player going through this. Um, it's been a little. It's been uh, interesting, I guess is the word I'll use. Um, I haven't. I, I don't know if I've ever played a game in my life that I had no family members at. Right. And I've played almost every game. I think, with the exception of one, with uh, no family members there. So. Uh, that's definitely a a major change for me. Um, I think I've seen my parents maybe once, seen my sister once um, over the span of the season. So obviously, you know, I'm used to seeing them a lot more, but um, it's kind of a found a way around it, you know, through phone calls or Zooms, you try to find time. Like for Christmas, obviously there was nobody here for me for Christmas. So uh, <laughs> for me, it was another day, you know, I wake up, <laughs> go to practice, come home. But um, so you spent Christmas Day by yourself in your apartment, or where? Or, I'm, I'm assuming you live in an apartment. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of was kind of was nothing else to do. But <laughs> we had a little family Zoom, so I mean, I guess that kind of that kind of helped uh, give somewhat of the feel there. Did you even um, get a meal? You don't even have a Christmas meal? Nah, I did not. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you're taking home from the facility food or something. Yeah, pretty much that and, and whatever was open, you know, so. <laughs> that's, that just seems, that just seems wild. You're also working from home during the week. 
right? Uh, so yeah. what's what's the what's the you're doing meetings essentially several days a week from home, virtual meetings. That's that's what the season has come to. So take us through what that home setup is like. Where are you doing meetings? Like how how do you set up? Like what do you try and you know be at a desk or do you sit on the couch or I'm curious, what, 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 do, what do you see and do you like judge other guys and say, oh, well, wow, he's doing that in the middle, the middle of the meeting? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I try to, I sit at this, this table. I have my house in a chair because um, I can't, if I sat on my bed or on my couch, I, I would get comfortable and I, I can't. I know I'll probably nod off, especially because every every meeting we ain't talking about, you know, wide receivers and routes. You know, there's run portions of the meeting. There's portions of the meeting where it's talking about protection, stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I uh, <laughs> I, probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be able to uh, maintain my focus as well, uh, being comfortably laid up on my couch. So um, I try to try to sit in his chair, his desk and just stay locked in. And, and there's no uh, turning the video off. Is that a rule? Because I know Joe said, I mean, I asked him once. He said, basically, if if I don't see your eyes, you're basically not. You're not even there. Like you, you they don't. They, you're basically counted as absent if your if your video is not on. Nah, yeah, I've been very adamant about having your camera on and being bright eyed and bushy tailed. Uh, <laughs> you you can't even like. Uh, is it is it okay? Is it acceptable to turn the video off if you have to like yawn or do something? Or is that you you frowned upon if that if you even go that route? Um, if I've ever, if I've had to yawn or something like that during it, I just normally just lean out the camera real quick and come back in. (laughs) So Joe judge, I mean, I, I, I've been around him enough. I, you know, you hear him talk F bombs is not uncommon, right? Mm -hmm. So what's your, have you been, have you felt the wrath of Joe judge at any point? How about that? Um, you mean like direct directly at me? Yeah, I mean I've we've seen certain guys. If you know, at least in training camp, you see it. You see it during games at times. Like he can get he can get on guys. Have you have you have you been one of those guys? Um, I wouldn't say necessarily not not that not directly at me, but I mean, as a sometimes he's addressing a group of people that I am also involved in the group that he is addressing. Right. Uh, you know, whether it's the offense or receivers or whatever. So in a sense like that, but never directly to me. Uh, no, I, he's never uh, coaching points all the time. Little stuff that he feels like could be helpful or reminder, stuff like that. Um, all tells me stuff like that all the time. More uh, so than other coaches. Does he, does he do that? Cause he, he seems to be involved with the, pretty much every group. Very hands on. Yeah. Uh, I think he does a great job of that actually. I think that's one thing he does tremendous is as a as a whole no matter what position you are if he feels like there's something that uh could be helpful um you know he'll share it with you and 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 try to help you out so um you know i think that's one great thing he does just in general yeah i mean it seems it seems like you are not one of the uh you know sort of the for lack of better terms the whipping boy right i mean uh, Cam Brown, I've, I've seen on multiple occasions. He, he seems to be a favorite of the coaches. Uh, you know, they, they seem to be at least in, in the summer, they were on that guy like every day you could, yeah. you could see it. I was, I was wondering at one point if Cam Brown was going to, was going to make it considering how much they seem to, to like to get on him. But I, I, I guess, uh, being a rookie this year might've been a little bit tougher than even in the past. Yeah, I mean, during a preseason, yeah, they're pretty tough on Cam, but um, 
they were just tough on them because they know they knew what we were going to need to get out of them this year. And, um, you know, I think that's something that Cam, Cam at first as a rookie, you just think like, golly, like they're, they're coming at me all the time. Right. And, um, you know, if you've been around the game at any point of time, um, you know, you, you know, you know, you start to figure out like, you know, like the coach, like who can help us, you know, what we need for this guy to do that or this guy to do that. So, um, you know, I think just having older guys around Cam, um, helped him understand that. And, you know, obviously I think he's, he's performed pretty well this year for us. Yeah. I mean, for a six round pick, he's played a pretty substantial role, especially on special teams. Uh, but you know what, when, when you're in that situation and you're that guy that they're getting all over there, they wouldn't do that if they didn't see that the potential in that guy, you know, like it, me- it means something that they're willing to get on that guy to that degree because they wouldn't do it for a guy that they really didn't see as part of the future. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that that's the positive for Cam Brown there. And, you know, he's had a pretty solid rookie year for a six-round pick for sure, which, which you know a little something about. Not that you were six, but you not not far off. Close. Um, close, exactly. Do you feel like you were, you were a fifth-round pick? So we've talked about this before. I mean, there didn't seem to be that respect or people that really truly believed in you a lot around the league, and it was kind of a little bit confusing. Do you feel like you've earned that around the league a little bit? Like when you go and you face other teams and you're you're seeing top cornerbacks a, a lot now and from the way teams react to you and handle you? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think I've surprised a lot of people in my first year and a half. Um, definitely I've had different games, different people come up to me, whether during the game or after the game, and just say encouraging things or say, you know, just, hey, keep working. Hey, you know, you're doing a heck of a job over there. Hey, you know, blase, blase, whatever it is. But um, right. You know, um, I definitely, uh, I definitely appreciate that when anybody goes out of their way to say something to that manner, because you know, obviously, I always believe in myself. You know, I, I believe in the player that I can become, and I'm, and am still becoming. So, um, you know, like I said, I always appreciate those things, and I, I've experienced a little bit of that, a little bit last year, but more so this year. Right now, I mean, you you can see it. I mean, obviously. Uh, the way I I think the way other teams play you is is pretty telling at this point. So uh, I I know I've spoken to people from other teams and they they say that, you know Slayton's a dangerous receiver. Like, you know we have to worry about him. So that that's certainly a positive. We'll wrap up here. Let's uh, give us a, we want we want a little insight into the team, right? Uh, we haven't been around the locker room as much this year, so we don't really get that you know feeling of of like that you know what's kind of going on in the locker room and, the, and behind the scenes. So we need, we need you to help us fill some gaps in, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who's the jokester on this team? Who, who's that guy that gets everybody laughing? Mm. Probably Pep. Joe Peppers is a good one. Um, for our room, probably definitely Shep. Shep is always, there's no telling what, you know, <laughs> no telling what Shep's going to say at any given point in time. Right. Um, probably, probably on the team. I, uh, probably those two are two. Of the so biggest. Who, who in that who in that wide receiver room is incurring the most fines? You know, I know you guys. You get on guys for missed assignments and stuff like that. It's, it's been like that for years. Who who's that guy? That's sort of the uh, you, get, you guys get on often for. Hey, come on, we need, we need to get we need to get this right. You got to fill the jar. Uh, I, that's always been kind of a defensive thing. We've never really done that in the receiver room. Oh really? Like keeping a tally, right? 
Is is there is there a guy that you guys are always on? Like who who's the guy that that gets uh gets the most uh ribbing in that room? Mm, I don't know. We've had so many. We've kind of had we've kind of had a lot of different people in our room this year. Right. We went from like a room of almost 10 or 12 down to, I think we're down to seven or six now. We've had some guys that have been here, been cut, guys that were inactive, that are now active. So it's kind of been a lot of, I don't really know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't really say we necessarily have a guy in there that's like that, to be honest. What's, what's your role then? How about that? Like, where, uh, where, what, which, which, what, do you, what do you think your role is in that room? My role, I think... <laughs> socially yes socially i think my role in that room is um i think i'm the uh this word i'm looking for i think i'm the, the 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 steady in that room steady eddie slay there we go yeah I'm just <laughs> steady, never too high never too low people get upset you're not a yeller you're not a screamer no nah, i'm not a big screamer not a big yeller but you know it's football man People get upset and tensions flare. And I don't really get outside my character very often. If I do do it, it will be on the football field because obviously just the nature of the game. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually just a very even keeled person. And, you know, I think that's kind of how I fit into the room. You know, we've got some guys in there that are big personality guys. You always hear them talking. They're always live wired. We've got some other guys are a little bit on the quieter side. You kind of got to bring their personality out of them. Who's that? Who's the quiet? Who's the quiet guy? Probably CJ and Austin Mack. Um, CJ Board and Austin Mack. Yeah, they're, they're definitely two of the quieter guys for sure. And give me, you know, Daniel J- Jones. I don't know what I just called him. You know, Daniel Jones better than most. Mm-hmm. Let me know something about Daniel Jones that other people might not know. Hmm. I think his competitive spirit is very under underrated yeah i think that give me an example of that so um okay let's take san fran game for example i think he ran a, a, a some sort of a quarterback run and most quarterbacks slide or at least try to juke or something but i mean san fran safety comes downhill and i mean dj just runs into him i mean they collide just full speed. Boom. In my opinion, he kind of trucked him because, hey, man, look, it's a quarterback at the end of the day. Like, you're a safety, you're an NFL safety, NFL linebacker. There should never be a collision between you and a quarterback where you go backwards or sideways. So, <laughs> personally, you ask me, I'm going to say he trucked him. You know, some people, you know, may have a different perspective, but um, you just don't, you just don't see that kind of stuff out of quarterbacks, especially in the NFL, you know, where there's so much, you know, on the line with your quarterback that gets hurt or whatever. But, um, you know, it comes out in the ways he plays. It comes out in his personality. You know, he's a very passionate guy, like sometimes on the sidelines or sometimes in the huddle. You know, he's, he can be vocal and passionate. So, um, you know, his we don't see that part of him. That's that's yeah. that's definitely a little bit surprising. We really yeah. don't. I mean, they, yeah. we, they, the public just doesn't see that from him very often. No, nah, you wouldn't, and you wouldn't see it from him at all unless you're ever out there. Uh, that's that's kind of the thing. If, unless you strap on a helmet and you get out there, you get in the hood. It's kind of something that he'll he never really that part of him never really comes out in any other facet. But um, it's definitely something that shows up on games in games, and it's it's inspiring. Yeah, because he certainly comes off as steady Eddie. I'll tell you that. You know, like he 
he's going to say the same things over and over. And he's, he's not going to get overly excited. And, you know, when he talks to talks outside of football, it's very, he, he's Mr. Steady Eddie for the, for the quarterback group. It seems, but then you tell us that that might not that'd be, a, might be a, a misconception. So I'm interested. I, I, we need to, we need to bring him out, bring it out of him. One day you think maybe one day Daniel Jones will be like, you know, Mr. Be able to talk to the media or talk publicly and be this energetic, fiery guy that you guys see? Is, is that ever going to happen? No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> he's, too, he's too composed publicly, darn it. Well, we got to get that out of him. That's a goal. One day, one day. We, hopefully, you know, he's got a decade, 10, 15 years. So we, we got a while to go here, a long time to work with him. All right, so you got to help us out here. I'll try to, I'll try to egg him on. Right, put, in, put in a word for us. Darius Slayton, uh, working with Budweiser, Team Zero, making it big. You know, he's, uh, he's a big timer now. This, this is how, you know, he's, he's in a group alongside Dwayne Wade, okay? One of his, like you said, somebody he grew up watching, George St. Pierre, uh, Kevin Kisner. A pretty group, good group to be in. Uh, appreciate your time for coming on. No problem. Appreciate you having me on. On to the next one. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, that's Darius Slayton, 48 catches, 729 yards, and three touchdowns right now heading into week 17. Actually, pretty, almost identical numbers to what he had last year, except the touchdowns are way down. I mean, we, we knew that. That he had 48 catches last year and eight touchdowns. That TD per catch rate is was pretty unsustainable. Uh, yards per game down a little bit. Catch percentage uh, down five percent and yards per target down pretty much a yard. But look, he's had to step into a role that's you know if he was a number two receiver and he probably wasn't facing teams top cornerbacks and uh, getting some of the attention that he does get. He would probably be more successful. That's probably his role. Like you, look, this this wasn't what the Giants intended for. So, okay, he's our number one receiver. Let's kind of put him in that role and 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 have him you know go out there and dominate and finish with you know ninety catches and thirteen hundred yards. That probably wasn't realistic. Uh, so I don't I don't think you come out of this disappointed with, with uh, Darius Slayton's second year, but you do realize you need to bring in somebody aside him that can kind of take some of that pressure off him. And uh, this way, Darius Slayton's not facing top cornerbacks. He's facing number twos. Now, if that, if you have – pick your wide receiver. Let's call him Joe Johnson. 
Joe Johnson as your number one or or Ballin Bobinson, okay, as your number one. Uh, then Darius Slayton is now facing number two cornerbacks. I think he'll have be more efficient and more successful. And also, he won't say it because that's the kind of person he is, and, and we've gone down this road before. That's why I didn't want to push him on it. We, we've asked him before in press conferences in recent weeks about the injuries. He's never going to admit to it, but he he clearly was banged up for a while. And that's partly why the production went down. There was a three-week stretch where he had one or fewer catch, a four-week stretch, actually, where he had one or fewer catch in, in three of the four games. And that was because a lot, big part of that was because he was banged up. And the Giants' passing offense also has been anemic, so it's hard to put up numbers in, in this offense. But uh, we, we thank Darius Slayton for coming on. Good, good guy uh, and going to be a big part of the Giants' future. Let's get now to Jordan on the beat. This is the portion of the episode where I tell you what it's like to uh, cover the Giants, be a reporter for ESPN, cover the NFL in general. And what I'm going to tell you is about this past week against Baltimore. When you're in that situation, you have to write something that's you could file, essentially called basically a, a running game story. We don't do exactly game stories, but it's the same concept. You have to file something and write it right when the game's over. So you don't, if until you actually do it and do this kind of stuff on deadline, you don't realize how hard it could be. And I've talked about my one re- biggest regret with Tom Coughlin was at one point writing this still playing hard for him a, a game against Jacksonville in what, 20, I don't know, 14. It might even be 13 and, and writing, going from writing at one point at halftime and having half of it written saying the giants are still playing for him and then blowing it and being playing, doing some ridiculous things in the second half saying they got to move on for Tom Coughlin that, this team is just—it's over. The run's over. They're not—they're not going anywhere, and it was probably too premature at the time. But you have to make that decision spontaneously, so it's crazy. But this week against Baltimore, this is the dream situation because I'm basically new. I—I kind of knew before the game they're—they're they're overmatched. I—I I th- I thought that before the game. If you listen to me, I, I said that in the past week podcast. I don't know what final score I picked. I think it was like thirty-two to thirty to sixteen or. 30 to 13 or something like that. So not that far off from what it actually was. But so I even wrote a few lines before it started thinking, oh, you know what? These are good lines and and gets the point across of what I want to say if it goes as I anticipate. So by halftime of the game, I basically have most of that story written because that that you knew where that was going. The game was over. So this way, by the, like the beginning of the fourth quarter, I'm pretty much done with my writing. Just have to fill in some final numbers, tweak it a little bit here or there. So that's like the dream situation. The uh, the nightmare situation is where, you know, you have a crazy ending and all of a sudden they go from winning to losing or losing to winning. So these are the things you got to think about when you're watching the game. And remember, that's why if you notice my tweeting frequency, usually by the second half of games, I'm busy writing and making sure this is ready to go and fire out the second the game is over. My tweeting frequency decreases greatly in the second half of games. I'm not like a fan who just could sit there and concentrate 100% on the game and enjoy it, drink beers and and tweet or, you know, Instagram, whatever you do during games, you know, second screen experience. I have to write and make sure my story is done. So my tweeting frequency decreases greatly in the second half, especially usually fourth quarters. But this game by like the third, fourth quarter, I was already done. I was basically done, filed, was already written. So... That's the ideal situation when you are uh, have to write on the gun, at the gun, as it's called. So, look, big game against Dallas coming up. I'll give you my prediction later in the week. 
because we're going to have a double podcast this week. Double Breaking Big Blue, just for you. Because we're actually going to spend the whole podcast talking, believe it or not, just about the game. That's how big a game it is. Just about the game. My prediction, I'll say for Friday. We might even bring in our, our Washington reporter to get just get a, a quick overview of where they're at. Because this is big. This is going to be fun. The future of the Giants franchise varies greatly depending on how this, this turns out. Because they can end up anywhere from the third pick. They would have to lose and get a lot of help. So let's say realistically about the fifth or sixth pick if they lose. I think that's realistic. Right now, I think, what, it's eight? They have five losses. Them and, like, a whole bunch of teams have five losses. Uh, five wins, I'm sorry. So they lose. They finish five and 11. Some of these other five-win teams win. They'll, they'll pick about, let's say, fifth or sixth. They win, and then Washington loses. You're talking about picking 19th at worst, at best, whatever you want to say. Now, you get the playoff experiences. So it's really a dilemma. What's best for the long? I mean, it's a good question. What's best for the long-term future of the franchise? So we'll get into that a little bit later in the week as well. But we'll talk about that game, and I'll give you my prediction. Not going to go there yet, but I think the Giants have a chance for sure. Dallas is not a great team. They're playing better. Still not a very good team. Washington, beat up. Not a very good team. Offense is awful. The Giants and Washington have awful offenses. Let's be, let's be frank. Awful. Awful. So that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. Uh, as always, reach out to me. Questions, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, email. You know how to reach me. And tell your friends about this podcast available on all podcast platforms. I'm your host, Jordan Ron Ron. Did I just say my own name wrong? I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. You're listening to Breaking Big Blue. See you next time. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.